What's up, guys? Welcome to episode five of Dream Chasing 101 podcast. Today we have a guest all the way from the the sunny land of the UK, um, and yeah, she's someone I met uh, while working on the Sunshine Ladies tour. So, Rosie, um, can you just give the very big audience <laughs> a, mm-hmm. a little um, summary of who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So, my name is Rosie Davis. Um, I'm a professional golfer. I've been playing professionally on tour for the last five years. Um, I've been playing on the Ladies European Tour and then mixed with uh, the Access Tour. I play on the Sunshine Tour in the summer, uh, in in, in the SA summer. And I also, about five and a half years ago, nearly six years ago now, um, founded uh, a gym business in London. Um, we started off as a as a small, smallish CrossFit box <clears throat> in the centre of London, and then uh, recently last year we expanded, we rebranded, um, and created a multi facility uh, offering where we've now got two gyms, um, and yeah, just kind of I, I run the business um, and I also play professional golf, so that's pretty much me. And just going back. Obviously, you are a professional golfer now, but when you were growing up, what would you say was your kind of your dream job or what you envisioned yourself doing? I actually, I actually always saw myself, I wanted to be a professional footballer. Golf um, came to me quite, quite late in my life. Um, I, played, I played for Arsenal, I played for the Fulham ladies uh, through my teen years. And I'd always played golf. It was something that I did more recreationally with my dad. Um, I grew up in in central London, so golf courses are not, you know, there's not many of them around. Um, So you had to drive quite far to go to 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 the nearest one. So yeah, I I played football. That was my love. I'm a huge Arsenal fan. If you follow me on any of my socials, you'll see all I ever talk about is Arsenal Football Club. Um, But... Yeah, that was my dream. And then I, it got to the point I, I was studying, I was studying for my A-levels um, in the UK when I was about 17, 18. And I had, I had a golf coach who I saw sort of in the summer for maybe like two weeks at a time. And, you know, he was a close family friend and I had stopped playing football and I was considering either uh, going and doing trials back at, I think I had trials at West Ham, I had trials at... Uh, AFC Wimbledon at the time I had another trial at Arsenal and Chelsea and um, I had those options or my my coach basically said to me why don't you take or when are you going to take golf seriously and I thought well actually there's no better time now like I I was I was finishing school um, and I decided to take a gap year so I took a gap year Uh, I didn't go to the football trials um, and I went to the Hank Haney golf academy in South Carolina so I took a year off and just basically spent the entire year playing golf and it was over that period of time I mean gosh I shot I think my first event I shot like 77 97 something like that like it was like I was all over the place but there was I knew that there was like there was something in there that you know, considering it was the first time I'd ever played a competitive... I played my first ever competitive round when I was 18 years old. So my learning curve had to be, like, extremely steep. Um, 
I was kind of thrown in at the deep end, like, right, go play tournaments. And it was like, okay, I, like, I vividly remember I turned up at the academy and they were like, okay, Rosie, do you normally hit a draw or a fade? And I was like, I have no idea what those two words mean, but I'm going to guess. <laughs> and this is like, I'm 18. Like, you know, the people that I'm playing against now <laughs> had been hitting draws and fades and whatever as five-year-olds. So like, <laughs> I kind of, I, I had to learn very quickly. Um, by the way, I guessed, I guessed. And I was like, I think I hit a draw. And they were like, yeah, I can see that. I was like, phew. <laughs> that was the right Didn't one. make a fool of myself. <laughs> yeah. Playing kind of competitive um, football from a young age. Was it a difficult decision to choose between golf and football? Or, and how did you kind yeah. of cope with that? Yeah, actually, it was, it was very difficult in the, more so in the early years when I'd sort of when I was in college or when I was, because I was in college in America. I had, so I ended up getting a scholarship to Indiana University. And um, I remember looking at the football team and just being like, wow, I really wish I was... I miss the team sport element of it, I think. And I'm such a football nut that, like, I was watching all the games still, all the Premier League games. So it was quite difficult to turn my back on it and know that that was probably never going to happen for me. Um, but what started out as me being like, OK, let's see how good I can get at this golf thing. I very quickly caught the bug. Um, and this, you know that I mean you know you're a golfer yourself where it's that self-improvement thing and actually <clears throat> although I miss the team sport I really like the fact that I don't rely on anyone else and you know football is like if the manager or the coach doesn't rate you you don't get picked well in golf you know your golf does your golf does the talking if you're if you're shooting the numbers which is and that comes all down to you it's not it's not a it's not an opinion it's like these are the scores so that's I did really start to kind of fall in love with that part of it and the fact that I was going to be as good as I wanted to be and that was all in my hands um and so my my dreams very very quickly changed actually I was at the academy uh, as an 18 year old and suddenly I was telling people I wanted to be a professional golfer so it, that's, that, it, it did switch pretty quickly. When you studied um, at the Indiana University, you studied a BA, polit a BA politics. How did that come about? Why politics? Mm -hmm. um, yes, yeah, a bit of a random one. Uh, my mum my was actually in politics. Uh, so, at, so growing up, I was surrounded by it. Um, and my dad was in business. And so I actually... I did a major in politics and then I had my like minor or whatever. It was actually a, a diploma, which isn't as many credits as a, as a minor, but uh, in business. So I kind of, I kind of did both of what they did, which looking back now, I'm like, gosh, I could have been a bit more original. Um, but politics, yeah, I actually thought that if this didn't, if, if the golf thing didn't work out or whatever, I'd kind of was in my head thinking I could be a lawyer and politics fed into a law degree so which again I'm very glad I didn't follow that path because I think I don't have the you need to do a lot of reading of I just yeah law would not be my thing and do you think kind of studying has helped you in terms of kind of the management side of things um, looking at you know being a a pro golfer a pro athlete you kind of have to have a lot of discipline. Do you think studying has helped you kind of get that in check? For sure. Like, I think the four years 
that I had in college as a student athlete um, completely set the foundations. Like my in my early twenties, I think I I was very. I mean, I still I I would say I have a very disorganized trait that runs through me, <laughs> um, and so I'm constantly fighting that actually. And I think that the the, the things I learned in college, because you're a full-time golfer and you're, you've got to compete and you've got to travel across America and you've got to play all these tournaments, but you're a full-time um, student. So you've got to be studying on buses, on airplanes when you've played 36 whole days and learning to kind of compartmentalise things of, okay, I've got this amount of time to do this. And I think actually that has what has fed into like almost now with the business is being a professional golfer I felt like it I I needed something else to keep my brain active which is not I guess why I started the business like at all but I think I was I became so used to being so busy with the golf and with the studying that actually when it just when it just became golf I found that I got a little bit too in my head with the golf when when golf was the only thing I was doing I needed an outlet and actually that's where the business has been really beneficial for me not just from a from the obvious reasons the financial reasons but just from a kind of mental health sort of thing where I've got actually something else that I'm doing that's not golf if that makes sense yeah I can kind of relate to that because I was playing kind of amateur golf as well and then getting a few gigs like with the Sunshine Tour. And I also kind of found that, you know, when there weren't any jobs and it was just golf, like it was just too much. Like you're just constantly thinking about improving or what can I fix, you know, and, and that kind of doesn't lead to the most healthy, as you say, you know, if you, if you, if you, and I also studied for four years while playing golf. So it's like, I kind of get the busy aspect like it just keeps your mind ticking along because um, if you think about it if you think about it you're if, if you're a professional golfer or even a top level amateur golfer or even just into golf like no doubt your twitter feed is going to be about golf your instagram page is going to be like everything you're seeing the the tv you're probably watching golf like it can become all-encompassing that actually your brain is always processing like golf and that can be you need to be able to switch off, especially at the top level, because otherwise you'll drive yourself mad. Yeah, and then you start looking for problems that you don't have, and then that just leads to kind of bad results. And I'm just curious, so obviously you, you've been into fitness for a long time, but what kind of drove you to start a business in fitness? And obviously you co-founder of District along with uh, John Maxwell. Um, how did this come about? Like, how did how did it generate into a business? Well, so it's interesting because I would say the reason the reasons for the fit for a business in the fitness industry for me have changed over the years. So in the beginning, um, I I discovered CrossFit in Indiana. I was doing uh, my university workouts with the team. Um, but I was also doing CrossFit workouts at the local box. And I just, I fell in love with the community aspect that I've actually never enjoyed going to the gym. Weird, but I just, 
I, I never enjoyed going there, being by myself, doing, you know. So CrossFit was this way. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm working out with people. You're in a class basis. It's fun suddenly. And I just really fell in love with it. And at the same time, one of the girls on the team, she had started to compete in CrossFit. So she was a very high level athlete. Um, and we just, we would cut, it was, it was in, I was in my last year of university and things were kind of winding down and I was thinking, what am I going to do after I graduate? You know, was, I didn't know if I was good enough to play professional golf. So I was trying, I was trying to set things up. So during my last year at university, I started, um, coming up with a business plan. Basically, I saw that there was a massive gap in the market in London or in England in general, because in uh, America, there was 300 odd CrossFit gyms in New York, LA, Chicago, you know, on every corner. And there's always a bit of a lag with the fitness industry with what's happening in the US and what's happening in the UK. So I looked at the UK, there was 10 gyms open at the time. I was like, right, brilliant. There's, there's a gap, right? This is going to explode. Let's, let's do it. So we became business partners. Um, she came over to the UK and right after we graduated, we started looking for properties. So in the beginning, it was a very sort of, I enjoy, I, I'd found something I enjoyed and I thought, let's see if I can make this work. Like, let's make money from it, I guess. But at the time, I was incredibly naive, I think. And actually, I... I would say that that naivety as a sort of 20 young, uh, 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 23 year old, I think had I not been that naive, this wouldn't have succeeded because it was, it was, it's that weird thing where, you know, we talk about it a lot in golf, but fear, fear can be crippling. Right. So I, I had this opinion of, Oh, just go and do it. Just go and do it. Pick up the phone, call people like finding a, prop a property in London is really difficult. And then there was this like 23 year old with a really weird American twang in her accent. And she just come back from university calling up landlords saying, I want to rent your space. Cause I want to put a gym in your, and you know, and these people didn't take me seriously, but the more you do it, like the more I persevered with it, you suddenly start to get somewhere. So, so so yeah, I kind of, um, we, we found a property. It was right down the road from where I lived, which was really lucky. Um, and we set, the, we, we set the gym up and it was kind of like a, I just, I, I had this build it and they'll come mentality, which trust me, like I've realized now they, they don't, you have to work really hard at it. But, but somehow I kind of like stumbled through the first kind of year or so, two years, and as I, as I was, and actually at that time, I also, I went to a European tour school and got my full, my full card. So I then suddenly was like, that exploded. So I was, I was, the business was exploding, but then I was suddenly like, oh my gosh, I've just achieved something that I've always wanted to achieve. You know, I've always wanted to play. I say always since I was 18, when that became my goal, but like, you know, that, that was the goal. And like suddenly I had achieved it and I was like torn a little bit between two things. Um, but but yeah, my motivations for the gym massively changed when I started to see like the real tangible effects that we were having on people's lives. Like friendship groups started happening, you know, couples started, people started having babies. Like, like I was like, and, and beyond that, it was, we were changing people's lives through fitness and people walking in overweight and leaving, being able to walk on their hands, like crazy stuff that you're just like, holy heck, like 
fitness and health is so important and um so that then started to change for me and it started to be like okay if I can affect 250 people's lives through this business say if that's how many members I've got 300 people well I want to I want to reach more people so the way to do that is to expand and to have another gym and and, and create the same kind of thing and, and we believe heavily you know I, most chronic diseases come from you know inflammatory in your you know in your system or or obesity or stuff like that so we uh, that that's now become a huge thing for me especially in this time like I think after this is all over and stuff hopefully starts to go back to normal people are going to take their health a lot more seriously and we've kind of been banging that drum for the last five years or so but that is a huge motivation for for us John so John Maxwell he got involved um three years ago now in 2017 so he was my business partner moved or my ex-business partner she moved to Australia um so I was still playing full-time golf and was like okay I need to I need someone because I can't I can't run manage the place and also that was never kind of why I got into it like the day-to-day management of the, the facility is not is not what inspires me it's like it's it's more the entrepreneurial stuff of creating something and like being um forward thinking with stuff and like that's the stuff that really drives me so i needed a i needed needed a managing partner and john was put in contact uh, via a mutual friend um and he was out managing uh, the biggest crossfit gym in dubai at the time so he's scottish and he moved back to the uk in 2017 and since he came on board like the place is completely like it was just this we just meshed in our beliefs and where we saw um the gyms going and I'm like I'm a very ambitious person and what used to just be a nice little business on the side like it was you know the local box I now wanted to create something that I could grow into something that was going to be pretty big that and that's kind of where we went with the rebrand and why we created district so that we weren't pigeonholed to just being a CrossFit gym. It was, we were going to become a fitness brand. Um. And obviously while this is all going down, like you say, when John joined and you had this vision of kind of growing and expanding and playing on the LET, how did you internally, how did you manage that? Obviously, like you said, this is, this was your goal as soon as it was your goal. So at, at 18, but how did you kind of manage that and kind of just control the expectation? Because, I mean, having two big things going on at once is quite, quite intimidating to some people. Yeah, no, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very difficult and I struggled with it, actually. I would say that my, my years kind of... So, rookie year, I was pretty much all golf. Like, I would say that the gym... Um, so that was 2016 the gym kind of was in the background bubbling away there was stuff going on but like it was a nice little business that was keeping me financially secure and it was allowing me to go and travel and play golf um but I can't lie and say that there was like you know I was getting phone calls in you know Prague airport where the toilet had burst and stuff was leaking onto the gym floor and could I fix it like so 
as much as I as as much as I wanted or believed that I could completely shut that out of my brain, I it's very difficult to do so when it's your business. So it did affect it. It does affect me, and it, it's it's difficult. And I've had to. I would say over the five years, I've learned now, and with my team, with John, with with the managers at, at the gyms, they know when I'm away traveling. I'll get in contact with them, and if I don't, if then then everything can like wait, unless it's an emergency, which there very rarely is an emergency that John can't handle. But say there's a staff issue or we've got a member. I mean, something weird happens that maybe I need to get involved in. But for example, they know like the end of a week. So like from Thursday onwards, like it's a no contact zone. If I'm if I'm competing, maybe on a Monday, you know, we can catch up and have a chat about stuff because it's a practice round day and that's fine. But um, it is it is difficult. I I like mentally I, I I really believe that you have this bandwidth of of mental ability and if you're spending 30% of that on the gym well that's 30% that you're not spending on golf and that's something that my coaches have always been quite like I've needed them to be very straight talking with me because they can see it and I know it like deep down I'll know if I'm maybe not spending enough time you know putting in the work on the course versus because there's stuff going on with the gym and like I will know it deep down but I also know that my team are very good at holding me accountable to that and being like look so often what I'll do is I'll take myself out of London and I'll go away and I'll practice somewhere else because I know then that I'm mentally that is me in golf when I'm in London I'm so close to both gyms I can just pop down and kind of like have a chat or whatever so yeah I would say it's it's I've I've learnt I've I've learnt my structure of how to navigate it, but like so last year when we rebranded, I removed myself completely from golf because I knew that I wasn't gonna I I wasn't gonna be able to basically we we bought an existing gym, and then so we we took over an entire community of people that had been used to another owner. And what we then did is we put our brand on the wall and had, went through this construction period. So we had to, we had, I mean, oh, so many lessons. I learned more through that rebrand than that and taking over the second gym than I ever did setting up one from scratch. Like I learned so much from it and, and how you have to, just like the psychology of a takeover, which I never really thought. I just assumed, of course, all these people want to know what, want to do it our way well actually they're like well no I was quite happy and people don't really like change (laughs) so I learned a lot from that um but yeah last year I just I I I decided that going back to that mental bandwidth I didn't have it I was I I would we invested a lot of money into the the, um re re reconstructing the gyms like so they're really now top top of the line and I was literally on site every single day making sure that the builders were doing what they were supposed to be doing and I just thought if I was away you know playing a tournament in South Africa worrying about all the money we'd spent on the gyms and whether they were putting the toilets in right or the you know or the showers looked okay because it's it's weird little things so I decided look I'm just going to take a step back from golf um and see kind of see what happens I it was actually I was very close to deciding maybe I wasn't going to return to golf, which um, just because you don't do it for a long time and then 
you kind of think, okay, maybe this is my life now. Maybe I just want to grow this business. And it just got to the point where I was missing it so much. And just, I've always been a competitor. I've always enjoyed playing um, competitive sports and not having that. Like, <laughs> actually, it's really funny. I, I joined the local football team while I was, because I was at home and I was like, I was like, well, I need to do something with my competitiveness. Like, I need to go out and play. So I just rocked up at this local team did one training session, tore my quad because I was so out of playing fitness. Like I was, I mean, I'm fit, but I tore my quad. I was like, right, that's it. My, my, my football seat, like my football comeback is not on the cards. My body doesn't want to do that anymore. Yeah, that was awful. I was, I was actually about to ask you kind of the, with the rebrand and taking a step back from golf, um, was it tough to kind of put golf on the back burner for that long? Or was it kind of that that um, that thought that this is your life? Did that kind of just settle you in a little more? I think I think what happened was I I was getting so frustrated with golf because I was not getting anything out of it. And of course I wasn't. Like I was not putting anything into it. So yeah. I was I was getting so frustrated that I just thought, right, this is I'm gonna I'm gonna start to hate it. So I need to just put my clubs away. I withdrew from pretty much the the last event I played was the Terre Blanche Access event, which was in April, beginning of April. Put my clubs away for the whole summer. I said to my coach, look, I've got to do this because district is something that I had like, I just, I wanted to do. I believe in it. I want to grow it even more, but I just had to do that, get everything set up. And then I would go back to golf. And I said that to my coach and it was, it was interesting because he, he said to me that he'd had a talk with my dad and he was like, I'm just worried that she'll never come back. Like, and my dad was like, no, she will. Like, it's, it's in her. She wants, yeah. she wants to do this. Just wait, give her time. And it was actually like clockwork. It was like, we had our launch party for district and it was like, boom, okay, it's, both gyms are open. And I kind of sat there and I was like, right. I can actually go play golf. I'm like, I've done it. That's it now. Like, yeah, now now I can go play golf. And, and going back to it was, I spent the kind of tail end of last year pre- preparing and like um, uh, working with my coach um, and just kind of getting my head back in it. And I just, yeah, like, like talk, it was like I was a kid again, or well, not a kid, I was 18 again, <laughs> like going through that self-improvement kind of process. And like, I just, I, yeah, I f- fell back in love with it and... Now everything else was stable. I was able to turn my attentions to back to golf. It's been, I would say it's been difficult coming back competing. Like, um, so I went to Q school in January and I didn't play very well. I got through prequel and then just sort of final stage was just very meh. And it was just like, that was the first time I'd, oh, I played in Kenya actually in December. Um, but it was... I felt very alien, mm. like, you know, when under pressure and, and, and I felt really nervous and I hadn't felt that in a really long time. And so that was kind of why I came, you know, I came down to the Sunshine Tour and just wanted to play as much as possible. Just play, 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 because I just felt this year for me was all about just playing wherever I could and just getting those feelings back of being under pressure and seeing what I could do again and kind of... but my expectations were up here because I know the yeah, level exactly. I can play to yet I'd taken a whole year off 
I'd taken a whole year off and then just expected to be back at that yeah. kind of sharpness. And it's like, so I've had to have a few conversations with myself where I'm like, look, just you're putting way too much pressure on yourself. You're, you're expecting too much. And so, yeah, just, just chill out. Just enjoy playing again. That's why, that's why you love it. You love competing. So just enjoy that. And yeah, you might miss a few cuts here and there. You might not, you know, you might shoot 72, 82, like whatever. That's, that's just golf. And, and like, I know it's in there. It's just, I just need to be a bit more patient. And that's why the COVID stuff's been really hard to take because I was just getting back into it and now I can't play. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like you just need to give yourself time to rediscover like where you left off. But it takes time. I think that's something we don't really yeah. think of. We just, like you say, you know what you're capable of and your mind just jumps to that conclusion that you're going to be back mm-hmm. to that competitive edge. But what what would mm-hmm. you say... Um, and I'm not very patient yeah exactly well most golfers aren't I mean it's just kind of like part of the (laughs) part of the the job I guess yeah Um, Yeah. with with running a business and and playing golf you mentioned when you're in like high pressure situations in a golf you know in a tournament or or something like that um, has the golf aspect helped you in the business side where you've kind of learned how to deal with that pressure especially internal pressure has that kind of helped you kind of run a business in in mm-hmm. a better way yeah i would say a hundred percent i think golf is the best sport that you can play to learn life lessons and and pressure i think the pressure thing like in golf right i think you learn in a highly pressurized situation, you just hit the ball into the trees or whatever. It's it, you learn to take a step back, even though your heart heart is racing and you're like, you know, you, all those thoughts are coming through your head, and you learn, don't you, that you need to rationalize and be calm in those in those kind of um, high pressured situations. And I think with the business, I've always been able to like logically look at a situation and be like, okay these are all our options like which one is our best avenue and that is what you that's what you do with golf so I think and 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 again I I always say golf like teaches integrity it teaches it's you know it teaches to take to swallow the hard pill when you've played your ass off for 71 holes and then that one swing which is what 15 seconds of your time you know can ruin like like so those lessons I think are so important yeah yeah can can and and I think those lessons have taught me so much I would say like it's something that in my uh, business partnership with John I think my role a lot of the time is like to calm him a little bit because his mind he he's an amazing like human like he he works at 100 miles per hour all the time and sometimes I have to like rein him in and be like okay we can we can do that maybe now is not the time to do that but I would say like with the COVID stuff even even then so I was in South Africa playing the SA Open I got back on Monday morning and went straight from the airport went and met John and we sat down and we were like look we're under a lot of pressure now because I know what's going to happen. It's weird. I actually had a dream about it. I'd had a dream that we sh- closed the business 
Yeah. When I was in South Africa playing the South African Open, I was dreaming that the business was going to be... So that's... When I say that, like, obviously, I'm very yeah. good at co- compartmentalising it. Like, even subconsciously, I'm Thinking not, because I'm it. still worried about stuff. But um, I had a dream that... Yeah. And so we, we decided... We, we sat down, we had, like, our own kind of Cobra meeting, and we're like, right, we've got all of these options. A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever. And then like f being like we jump we, like we're closed and uh boris the prime minister came on the the screen monday night and within like he came on at like four thirty, and within an hour we had decided okay just it's our social responsibility to close the physical spaces like now and we had to pivot yeah. really hard really quickly to the, to the digital and that was something that i mean it, that was really stressful because uh, like we were entering we were entering this realm that I had no idea about I mean obviously the social media and there's stuff like that but we had become really good at offering a fitness experience like I believe that we offer the best coaching I stand by that and the best experience that you can get in London if not I would I would put us up there right in the world because I really believe in the product that we sell and then suddenly that's taken away and they're like okay you if you still you want your business to work way, yeah. you got to make that happen via a screen yeah you got to find another way and actually that's going back to what i said earlier like i almost enjoy even though it was a very scary time the kind of entrepreneurial like like okay your back's against the wall what are we going to do how are you going to think your way out of this what are the options what can you create from this and I think that's something that although it was like this daunting prospect I actually quite enjoyed it and I'm still enjoying where we're going with the business and how we've how we've managed to adapt so quickly because you know we're still offering we're still able to affect people's lives positively through isolation which I think is is quite incredible obviously this is probably one of the biggest obstacles you've run into while um, running district what other challenges have you kind of run into especially during the earlier stages of of the business what what did you say were kind of some issues that you could highlight um so the first issue was the the property that we took on back in 2014 it's under an apartment block and i was so excited that i found a space that was close to my home that was a D2, like in the right zoning. So to be a gym, you have to have the right um, yeah. usage, which is done by the government and the local authorities. So I was so excited to find this space that could have a gym. I didn't even think about going in there and dropping a barbell and making sure that there was like it was soundproof. So we get in there, signed the lease, like like brought in contractors to to deck the place out, and we run our first CrossFit, our first workout. And suddenly I'm like, oh, it's really loud. Like, oh, like everyone's dropping barbells. It's like, boom, boom, boom. And I was like, oh, my God. We had so many complaints from the neighbours upstairs. And basically this went on for like a year. And we kind of like programmed our workouts around it. And like we got served notice by the council. They gave us 90 days or you have to get out. Like that was terrifying because it was like, I've created this business. I've, I've spent all this money getting it set up, you know, all my investment, everything like that. And 
and I was like, I've got 90 days, otherwise they're going to kick me out. So that was pretty scary. We, we ended up putting in um, this sprung floor, which basically is on springs and it's floating concrete. So when you drop a barbell, the, the sound of the vibrations uh. are supposedly meant to disperse as they, go <laughs> down the, as they go down the spring before it touches the structure. Basically, we spent 50K on that floor and it didn't work. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that long, story, long story short, we then actually entered into a, a lawsuit. Um, we sued our lawyers who advised us in the beginning because they missed a piece of information saying that we were required to have that sprung floor. So we sued them and that has only just finished. That's so four years later, I think we, we settled last year and they ended up playing for that, paying for that 50K um, for the floor. So luckily that was, that all ended up okay. But yeah, I mean, some of the, some of the, uh, gosh some of the neighbors were so aggressive and i get it like we were supposedly like their yeah, kitchens exactly. were shaking and stuff like that but it was like this i was like this young person that was like this is my livelihood this is my business this is everything i've set up and she's telling me you can't do it because our kitchen's shaking and i'm like your kitchen's not really shaking but then obviously it was and i felt really yeah so that was that was and actually john coming on board he was the one that he took a different approach i i was very like pitbull like down these people's throats and he was like no let's be calm let's let's (laughs) so to stop them going to the council directly they'll come to me and it's still it's an ongoing issue but it's one that we now manage very like very well and then yeah i would say the second lesson that was huge was last year where we we took over this gym it was probably it's the first crossfit gym ever in london so their roots you know they were they were very proud of how they did things the community of people they were very they took fitness very seriously so they all they like competing which was very different to the ones with gym and we kind of turned up and we're like yeah hey look we know we know what we're doing this is how we want things to be run you got to do it our way and that didn't go down very well um so we kind of went in there, made a terrible impression of ourselves um, and then spent, I would say, the next six months being like, no, we are like nice people. You will like what we're doing with District. Like just, just the thing is we went in there with lots of promises and then we weren't able to start the construction work on the gyms until a couple of months later. So people were like, okay, you're promising us new equipment, new facilities, like new showers, all this stuff, but where is it? Where is it, yeah. So that was quite difficult. With CrossFit, obviously, it's quite a community strong um, avenue of fitness. Has that kind of been the main reason why you've kind of made this your life? Is it is it just that community aspect, and is it also maybe because you kind of back in your football days you kind of missed that team aspect? Is that accurate or somehow accurate? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't I've never actually thought of it like that. But yeah, I would say so. Like it makes sense. We we refer to everybody we refer to everybody you know, at district as as the team. Like we talked you know, if you're if you're a member, you're part of the team, you're part of the family. 
Um, I think, yeah, the community aspect, I just think it holds people accountable to their fitness and to their health. Um, you've got just a, a, a group of like-minded people that place health and fitness very high on their priority list. You know, they're spending, our, our memberships aren't cheap. You know, it's like, our average membership is 200 pounds per month. So it's, it's we see it as an investment. You, you know, and at first we get people coming in and they're like, well, how come you're so expensive? And it's like, okay, would you spend 200 pounds in a bar over the month? Spend it on booze? Yeah, you probably, like, people probably would, right? Or yeah. on eating out. It's like, okay, you could you could spend that money on that or you could see that money as an investment in your long-term future and when you're 50, you can still pick up or 60, you can pick up your grandkid and you're not going to have backache or, you know, you're not going to die because of a chronic disease that could have been avoidable. Like, so when you put it in that kind of terms, people are like, oh yeah, I see why the price is, is what it is. Um, but yeah, the community, I just think it's just this, it's just this great feeling. I think that being part of something that is bigger than you and you are you are involved in other people's successes and you celebrate them and you champion that and I just think it's so inspiring and I'm lucky I don't think I I have two jobs and I love both of them I think that's very rare that you find like something that you love doing and that you can live off and that you can kind of you know that I think that's quite rare so I I count myself incredibly lucky um to be able to do that yeah I think that's kind of the main thing is I mean everyone's just trying to make a living but doing what you love and if you can make a living from that it's kind of something and I think that's where I am currently as well it's like you just you don't realize how lucky you are until you're talking to somebody about what you do and you're like it almost doesn't feel like you're working as hard because you just enjoy it so much um so yeah, now I can kind of relate to that in in a big way. And what what advice would you have for people starting a business in fitness? So whether it be um, opening up a gym like District or kind of an online training, you know, what kind of advice? What what can they expect? I would say uh, my advice would be to persevere. I would I would to persevere and to be authentic. I think at the moment, there's two things. I think that the the market is incredibly crowded, especially online at the moment, because everybody's been stuck indoors. So it is quite difficult to get into. However, being authentic and not doing what you think people want, but what you believe in, that comes across massively i think you you see social you see social accounts or 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 influencers or you know people doing home workouts and it's just not believable it's not you know it's it's i feel like they're doing it because it's like the fad or the craze or whatever i would say if you truly believe in improving people and and getting because at the end of the day it's it's a very being a coach or or being in the fitness industry it's very anti-social hours if you're a coach because you if you're PTing people it's always before work or after work so it's you have to do it if you really love it and um I would say yeah just just persevere I would I would be authentic I would 
make sure you know what your voice is and stick to that because there's so many voices out there at the moment and and like people mimicking people and I think at the like you've just got to find what it is that you want to say and then just keep saying it persevere with it because it's kind of that's what I've done and uh, and I think also just be very very open to adapting you have to be able to adapt quickly and solve problems and and kind of think on your feet a little bit because like like we're already planning for the what ifs about when you know are we able to to open the gym back up but are we going to be restricted in how we yeah. off how, how we work like the government could drop that on us tomorrow and we've got to scramble and be able to figure out a way to open successfully so that our members are first of all safe but also so that they can get back doing what they love and so you've you've my brain is like 24 7 thinking about things like it's 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 always going but yeah I think just the general advice for um even if it's not in fitness even if you want to start your own business I would find what it is that you want to do and what you want to say um and then just keep saying it really I don't know if that's very good (laughs) advice but you just got to persevere you just got to do it just go and do it I think we're in a world at the moment where where people get crippled by oh, what if it's not good enough? What if it's not, you know? And I've, I, I, tell, I tell our team here, like, imperfect action is always better than no action. So do something and maybe don't, maybe it doesn't work out the way you wanted to do it, but it's still yeah, better than doing nothing at all. It, I guess that's the main, the main thing. And then, um, yeah, I think the problem is, like you say, it's quite a crowded space now, especially the fitness industry, because everyone's stuck at home and everyone, I mean, you can shoot good quality kind of content on your phone and that kind of tells, you know, you may not be authentic, but it looks authentic in, in the appearance and then people are just kind of being sucked into the wrong, the wrong kind of things. And I would say stand by, stand by, stand by your value. Yeah. Like, so we we just just lastly like we we're up against the problem at the moment is you've got a a diluted market where everybody is offering all these things for free and we're still charging for our service yeah because we believe like would you rather go to someone who's giving you something for free who probably doesn't care about you or would you want a personalized tailored um offering where we really care about you but that also, we're experts, right? So, you know, you don't go to a doctor, or you do in the UK, you don't, but you know what I mean? Like, you don't go to an expert, for yeah. example, <laughs> and, and expect free advice, because I would say you probably wouldn't trust it that much. Yeah. So, yeah, just value what 100%. you do. And um, with most things kind of related to sports and and actually most businesses in the world being a female how is the fitness industry kind of treated that that part of it kind of being a female in the in the fitness industry would you say there's that big divide that we see in most sporting codes or is that kind of more um equal in in the fitness industry i would say that maybe not in the fitness industry as a whole but in the in the crossfit world I would say CrossFit is 
the most equal sport in the world. Um, from its roots back in 2008, men and women have been paid the same prize money for the same events. And not only that, but the way that CrossFit works and how you can um, tailor the workout so they're scaled. So a guy can go up against a woman with the correct scaling and they can do the same workout and compete against each other. So, and actually... I see that exactly like yeah. golf should work, right? That's why we have the 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 tees, the different tees. A guy could go up against the girl if the tees are correctly positioned, like we had at the Jordan Mix yes. Open, you know, and that and you can have men and women competing. So I think golf could learn a lot from CrossFit. Um, I would say that being a woman in business and I'd say in the fitness industry, obviously you run into certain issues like body image right and that's but that i would say is not solely fixed on only women men also face body image issues in the fitness industry you know you should if you're a trainer you should look a certain way you should have rippling abs you should have yeah. massive biceps um i've never really bought into i've never really bought into that i think luckily because of my sporting background and what crossfit preaches is your body is there to be functional and as a sports person, your body is there to perform in your certain sport. So it doesn't really matter what it looks like. L like luckily from working out and from training, you know, you get a certain physique anyway. But I think what we really focus on in our gyms is that functionality aspect where like, would you rather be able to live, a, you know, a life where or would you know where you can pick stuff up easily you know you're not getting out of breath going up and down the stairs does your body work the way it should work or do you care more about and actually what happens is the better the more you go down that crossfit kind of thing your body looks a certain way anyway yeah um so i would say obviously there's there's those issues but and then i just just being a, a woman in business i think i used to get more I used to notice it more, especially when I was younger, because I was like 23, 24, set up a business. You know, I was hiring coaches and trainers that were 30, 32, that were, you know, men. <clears throat> and I think in the beginning, actually, they, some of them did find it hard to have a really young female boss. Um, now, I would say, I and that used to bother me a little bit, but now I, I kind of don't care um and i think if i can inspire more women to just have kind of a go get it mentality whether that's starting a sport you know whether that's playing football whether that's playing golf or whether that's you know i'm gonna i'm gonna put myself out there and start a business um i i would love to be able to kind of advise or inspire people to especially women to do that perfect Thank you so much, um, Rosie. I think cool. this is quite a, a nice little in-depth look at, you know, kind of the fitness industry, especially CrossFit. I think um, I remember watching the CrossFit games on ESPN like way back. It was actually like wild. Yeah. Like it's a different breed of, of weightlifting. Something I'll probably yeah. never do, but I it's mean, crazy. it's good to watch, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That those 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 people out there they're they're animals. That's like watching no. Tiger Woods and being like, 
Ooh, I don't think I could ever play golf like him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, they they definitely we can dream, right? Proper animals. <laughs> yeah, one day. Anyway, yeah. thanks so much for your time, Rosie. I really appreciate <laughs> it, and yeah. No worries. Good to chat. Catch up with you soon.